That might sound boring, but I think the boring stuff is the stuff I remember the most. Russell from Up. Oh, we love that movie, and it has some big spiritual themes uh, that we want to talk about today that will apply to you whether you love the movie or not. But here they are. Why does it seem like time flies? Number two, how do you live when it feels like you've lost everything? And number three, what is the value of generational relationships? I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast at the Movies. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Mr. Taylor Drake, how are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Brian Jennings. <laughs> Mr. Anderson. That's a Matrix reference. We're not talking about the Matrix. We're talking about Up. Disney Pixar, one of their most well-beloved and financially successful films. I don't think Pixar's ever had a financially unsuccessful film. Probably not. No, not, I, don't, I think they've had. But Up, we like Up because it covers a lot. Is there a better film introduction in any film that you can think of, one that like pulls at your heartstrings more than the first couple minutes of it? <sighs> that that's that's tough. Up is probably one of the best opening montage sequences of all of film. De- describe for our listeners who may not have seen it what happens. So if you haven't seen Up, here's basically what happens. You have the main character and the girl that he ends up liking. You watch their entire life. In what, like two minutes or something? Two, three, five minutes, maybe. The hardships, the ups, the downs. They can't get pregnant. Um, the support they have for each other. They they kind of come to a place of contentment, um, and then ultimately um, her death, and she dies. And the film gives us an entire film within a few moments, and then we meet the main character. It's the little boy, old and curmudgeonly, and yeah. yeah. Pixar did a film about an old white guy. I don't know how to deal with that statement, right? Like that's that's such an interesting way to yeah. begin the film. Yeah, but the the if anything, just go online and watch the the opening sequences yep. of the film because it is magical. Like I cried. I'm like I should not be crying three minutes into a movie, but right? I sure did. It is incredible storytelling. Yeah. It, it has one of what I think is one of the best tracking shots. For those of you who don't know, that just means they put the camera on like a train track and slide it. That's all a tracking shot is, but it's whenever they're spoiler. I guess we should say spoilers because... All over the place. All Spoilers all over the place. The tracking shot is whenever they're painting the nursery and then the camera slides over and you find out that they're actually in a hospital doctor's office room. Um, and it's being conveyed to us through no ver- words, just images that um, they've either lost the baby um, or they're they're not going to be able to have it one way or another. I think miscarriage is implied. Yeah. But man, it just it hits the ground on all emotional cylinders, and interestingly enough, tackles three really intense questions that we believe have theological implications to them. So what's that first question? Why does it seem like time flies? I am just amazed that as a human race, we've discovered so many things. We've built tall buildings and we've made things fly. And yet we can't figure out how time flies. Right. Time is weird. We're always amazed. Like we we're always like, I can't believe it's already summer. 
Yep. Feel that humidity? I can't believe it. Yep. Christmas lost, is yeah. just around the corner. I can't believe it. I lost track of time. Where does the time go? Time flies. <laughs> hey, don't waste your time. I can't believe how big your kids are. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I, I can't believe I'm 40. I can't believe I'm 50. I can't believe, you know, just, yeah. just right on yeah. up. We're always confused mm-hmm. about how fast time goes. We never yep. figure it out. Absolutely. And philosophically, there are so many different ways of viewing time. Does time actually happen? Is time a fabrication? Is that how we measure things? Uh, when God created everything, did he create the progression of event? Is that time? Is time just the, pro- oh, it, it gets really intense on what do we mean and, and everything that goes into it. So how do we answer that question? Oh, well, I mean, it does seem like it's part of the human condition. Yeah that we experience time. And I think in some way or another, God created time for us to live in. Definitely. And even in the creation story, um, there was uh, morning and evening. And the first so, day, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we see that. But it seems like almost part of our broken condition that we can't quite ever figure it out. We're confused by it. And sometimes, you know, especially as a kid, you're bored to death. Like, right. And the clock is ticking slowly. Oh, the afternoon is so boring when you're a kid. Yeah. And the older you get, at least for a long span in life, that doesn't happen anymore. Ma, it seems pretty quick. Yeah, I do have one theory about that is okay. the older you get, every year is less a percentage of your life. Where if you're three, mm-hmm. you know, one year is like two thirds of your whole life. Right. That's a long time. Yep. You know, but when you're 80, it's just one 80th of your life. It's nothing. And it just kind of shoots by. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is interesting is that as creatures of habit, we like to find patterns. And I think it's interesting that in Scripture, we repeatedly hear God talking about now is the time, or Mm -hmm. this isn't the right time, or you need to be doing things at certain times. And a lot of Scripture really deals with people not being where they're supposed to be for that time. I think of like David and Bathsheba. When kings would go off to war, it was that time. Mm -hmm. David didn't. And then all of this stuff happened. Or even the story when Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. The sisters say, if you had only had been here earlier. So maybe the question that we need to ask ourselves isn't so much as what is time or how does it work, but really what are we doing with our time? And is it honoring and is it glorifying God? Or are we wasting the time that he's given us. That's it, because the Bible tells us that the days are short, Yep. and so we need to seize the moment. We don't want to delay doing what is good. And at the same time, there's times where we need to be patient. Yep. And so that's kind of giving Jesus lordship of the time in our life. So what is that second question that we got going? How, and, and I think yeah, this is really the big thing from the montage that sets up all the emotion of the movie. Yes. How do you live when it feels like you've lost everything. For the main character, the the old man in the movie, he's lost the love of his life, yep. and it feels like life, his, all of his dreams are shattered. Yep. They, he, they didn't get to do all that they wanted to do, and now he just doesn't know how to go on. Yeah, and he just... It's his house is in this dealing with time. Interestingly enough, his house is this frozen image of what things used to be. It's a old cottagey feeling surrounded by now this massive industrial complex with everything happening. And they just keep trying to get him kind of to get over himself yeah. in, a, in a weird way that yeah. he needs to move on. He can't hold on to the past. He needs to, to continue forward. So it's interesting that these external forces of modernity are trying to get him out of his 
melancholy nostalgia, if you will, for how things used to be. Um, And I think for a lot of us, it's easy to glorify the past. Oh, absolutely. But the past is when you had everything. The Mm -hmm. past is when it was good. So then what do we do when we feel like we've lost everything? Yeah, I I love the the story of Job, and he Mm. does lose everything. And he's sitting and he's grieving and lamenting, you know, uh, the Lord gives and the Lord is taken away and is a statement in Job 121. Yeah. But then not only do we see the, the problem, but we see the proper response, which is blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Even when it feels like I've lost everything, I will still bless the name of the Lord. And that means that we grieve. I appreciate that the Bible and God gives us space to grieve. We don't yeah. have to pretend like we didn't lose a whole lot and, and seemingly lost everything. That we can grieve and we can lament and we can cry on someone's shoulder. And yet there's also that time, there's that word again, where yeah. we also still take hope and we talk to God and we realize there's another chapter in our lives. There's a reason why we're still sucking air and we're still moving along that God has something for us. So there's this balance there of grief, but still hope in the future. Yeah, I like what Paul says in his letters where he says that, um, you know, we don't grieve like people who don't have hope. Yeah. That is such a, a wonderful reminder that grief is not a bad thing. Mourning is not a bad thing. These natural expressions of loss or sadness and even anger to Mm -hmm. God, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? Those are actually appropriate questions and those are appropriate responses. And the fact that God makes space and honors and loves those types of interactions, I think that's encouraging. And another Pixar film that actually Mm -hmm. deals with grief and sadness is inside out right like the Mm, whole thing yeah yeah yeah. like joy keeps trying to make sadness not sad and yet sometimes people just need to be sad so appropriately dealing with the loss of everything yeah the bible actually has some really good wisdom on that yeah and that god may have this incredible thing in store for you that you just can't see because you're you and he's him and so we hang in there And so this third question, which probably from the poster and the commercials, it really does pop out the most, I think. Yeah, and it's more fun than the the last question. What's the value of generational relationships? Well, back in my day, uh, when I didn't have all this internet and the Google, (laughs) my grandpa actually, uh, my grandfather, I was talking to him the other day, uh, he was alive when there was just radio. Yeah. And just kind of just talking to him about from radio to, to, to film to black and white mm-hmm. to cassette to VA. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, just listening to him talk about how amazing the technological progress has been. I think most people think of generations as differences in technology hmm. more than just principles hmm. or morals mm-hmm. or even like that. There, there's a lot more of um, an emphasis on how things have changed technologically um, and yet Ecclesiastes tells us there's really nothing new. Yeah. So it's not dealing really with technology. So how, how do, how do we as Christians, how should we deal with generational relationships? Should we just be like, oh, well, just let them have their, their mm-hmm. old hymns and mm-hmm. the temperature and the sanctuary is way too hot. So they're comfortable or, or how, how should yeah. we interact with the older generation? Well, our, there's a lot of things in our culture and even in some of church culture that actually separate us generationally. Yeah. And I have issue with that. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 
uh, I appreciate, says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. I love this idea of, hey, love one another as, and it's this idea that the generations matter, and Paul sees the healthy church as having young and older loving each other. You know, the, the best person to help a young mom try to figure out how in the world to survive is somebody who's been through that before. Right. And where the older woman can come and may even have the time because she doesn't have kids in the house anymore right. to care for that younger woman. And, and for the older person who needs to move a sofa, who's more valuable, their peer group or the younger person that has energy and that can come over. <laughs> right. And, and I remember that, you know, with our kids have all just been loved on by people in our small group and people from church. And we just value that generational, the, the different generations who would love them and care for them. We have uh, small groups here at the church that we intentionally try to help direct as much as we can to be multi-generational right? because we value that. And I think if left to our own devices, we won't do that. Yeah. Other genera- other members of your generation may be sympathetic, but they may not be wise mm-hmm. into the issues that you're dealing with mm-hmm. and being able to provide unique biblical insight and perspectives. Um, but I know that the Bible teaches us that all generations matter. You look from Elijah to Elisha, Moses to Joshua, there's this constant implication that we should be looking towards, quote, the next generation, if mm-hmm. you will, um, in that regard. Uh, but even in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, when it's like, Hero Israel, the Lord is one, it continues and says, and teach these things to your children. Mm-hmm. And the implication isn't just your children, but the children, the next generation going mm-hmm. on. I, I'm reminded that it is my and my wife's responsibility, not the church's responsibility, but my and my wife's responsibility to primarily teach our children about God and his love mm-hmm. for us and what Christ has done. If anything, the church is like second in the discipleship of our children. They come alongside us because how many people leave a church because they're like, oh, that doesn't match what we're teaching our kids Hmm. because there's this generational, I think, um, responsibility that a lot of parents do feel. They do want to raise their children rightly. Proverbs, right? Raise a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Hopefully, I I think there should be a a little caveat there. But the Bible is very much concerned with generations, and Christianity is a generational religion and should be seen that way, I think. Um, I also think it's interesting that in the film, it, it skips a generation. Mm-hmm. And that that always irked me that it's 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 not a parent and a child relationship yeah. between the two main characters. It's a grandfather and a grandchild, mm-hmm. and that absence of the parent relationship or the parent generation in between them, it it, it it's painfully present. But look what the quote oldest and the youngest do for each other. They yeah. inspire. They encourage. They invigorate. It's it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, I do too. And I would say if you have an opportunity to, you know, expose your kids to different generations, whether that be uh, in your small group and the people you invite to your house, I think for a lot of you, you're going to have to work for that a little bit. One obstacle I found to that in church leadership is that there are younger people who don't think that any of the older people want to be with them. And there are older people who think that the younger people don't want to be with them. We've actually found ourselves kind of 
combating that idea, that premise, maybe that they picked up on that because they feel rejected by their own kids mm. and they kind of put that on others yeah. or they feel rejected by their own parents. And so they kind of place that on others. And we've kind of had to dismantle that yeah. some, but the, those who have embraced that have come back to us and said, thank you so much for steering our small group this way or oh, cool. for steering our relationships this way. Cause we know that we kind of pushed back on this initially and it's been such a blessing. Good. I know that the wise isn't a proverbs that's like oh gray hair is a sign of wisdom mm-hmm. maybe yeah. not always but yeah. but i know that even just and i'm sure you've done this too we call upon older people who have who have experienced more mm-hmm. um because they probably have some better insight and wisdom not only to the character of god but also how we live out this christian life yeah and hopefully in our generational passing on of that good deep love of god Hopefully we gain a little bit of wisdom along the way that we can pass on you know, Absolutely. in there. So I, I, if you haven't seen Up, you should check it out. Totally kid-friendly. Very. Uh, so so even, even within the depth of everything that we're talking yeah. about, really kid-friendly, very funny. There's a dog who has a collar that can the, speak. The Yes. Doug? Doug, yes. Yes, Doug. Squirrel! Sorry. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's hilarious. It really is good. It really is good. Let me echo this back. Uh, A few big lessons we learn, uh, we can take away, is just to ask, am I honoring God with my time? Am I honoring God when I grieve? And am I honoring God with generational relationships? Thank you so much for joining us on this summer series of the Echo Podcast at the Movies. Next week, we're going to be looking at the film Silence, directed by Martin Scorsese, and the story of two Jesuit priests who are being sent to persecuted Japan uh, to try and get back a spiritual father who has apostatized from the faith. It is a heavy film. Whew, it's a heavy film. It is. But it'll be great to talk about because there's some great themes in there. Wonderful themes in there. I'm Taylor. I'm Ryan. This is the Echo Podcast at the Movies. Where we are looking for truth and popcorn and the noise. Mm